Mr. Rabbi. <laughs> don't ever call you Mr. Rabbi. Uh, you know, I, I, I do get it every now and then. Um, I, I certainly get it when it comes to uh, uh, certain pieces of mail that come through the, through the mailbox. It will say uh, either Mr. Rabbi Matthew Durbin or uh, Rabbi Mr. or Mr. Usually, generally, the ones that just say Mr. Uh, we discard. You could be called Father Rabbi because you are a father. I mean, you do have three, three kids. I do. I do have three kids. Three girls. Yeah. 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 Uh, so what's happening, man? We're back here on the podcast, Priest and Rabbi podcast. We're happy for you all here. Um, if you are new to it, this is just a Priest and Rabbi hanging out, and we talk about everything from uh, Shakara halftime shows to uh, what's it like living in uh, uh, post-Jim Crow uh, uh, society. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all. Uh, no, but today, uh, you know, th- through this last four weeks, if you caught up on the other podcasts, we have been talking about uh, the spirit of Black History Month, uh, taking on different issues, not just about let's talk about black leaders, because we should be talking about that all the time. But really, where do we start? Where are we still struggling? Where is the struggle real? Uh, and how does the faith community responding to help try to find healing and, and, uh, and, and redemption? You know, you know, it's always been a, a, a fascinating conversation. You know, um, um, since we've been doing the show, there, there have been many people who have come up and said, oh, you're, you're the priest, or you're the rabbi, and this, that, and the other. I listen to your show all the time. And, and somebody had once said to me, you know, rabbi, what is the Jewish position on X, Y, or Z? And, and a part of me says, you know, i got 68 episodes. Download us, because I'm sure one of those episodes we have discussed the Jewish issue on X, Y, or Z, um, and I think this is our 68th episode or something that we've been doing, so we've been doing it for a while, um, and I just think it's, um, I mean, for me, it's been a huge eye-opener to hear from our guests, to hear from you, to, to really build what what I see in our own community as something that is very needed and something that is 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 uh, very important, is to discuss some of these issues, some of these challenges in our society, certainly as we are in February and looking at Black History Month, you know, how does that filter in and how do we really understand and really go beyond just, oh, it's Black History Month, I'm going to go read a piece or this, that, and the other uh, so I can learn about about others in my community, but really to, to, to go beyond uh, the level of the surface and go a little bit deeper to really understand where we live, uh, where we work, where we love to play, and, and, and the history behind it. That's what we're going to do today. We're bringing on a uh, Lloyd-Jones. He'll be our guest today. He has been doing a lot of work uh, from a historical perspective in uh, one of the communities in our area, Hope Sound, but also in the same county. Uh, he served and worked for the sheriff department, so he's going to bring a history. He was he has memories. He knows what it's like to live in a Jim Crow uh, county, uh, to be in a segregated area, to go to attend a segregated school. So we're going to learn more about the history of our own community we serve. And then where's the hope? Where's the hope? And have we grown at all? Um, and then how do we continue to grow? The awareness of one another, the awareness of the injustices, the awareness of the structures that are still inherent in our society because of Jim Crow that still do not give a fair shake to everyone, um, every uh, child of God. So we're going to get into that. Enjoy. Please leave a comment uh, and, uh, and, and subscribe to this podcast and share it with someone you think might like it. God bless you and uh, enjoy the show. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the program hosts and their guests and are not necessarily those of WSTU, St. Mary's Episcopal Church, and Temple Bait Hyam. Products that may be mentioned are not necessarily intended as an endorsement. Any reproduction or retransmission of this broadcast is strictly prohibited. And now, WSTU presents a priest and a rabbi. Call in with questions and comments at 220-9788. 220-WSTU. Now, here's your host, 
Hey, good morning, everybody. Buenos dias. This is Father Christian Anderson from a priest and a rabbi. Sitting next to me is the best darn looking rabbi you have seen this side of the Jordan River. It is Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam. And the two of us make up your favorite radio show right now at 9 a.m. at 1450 WSTU. Where can you go to hear an Episcopal priest and a Reformed rabbi just sit here and chop it up and talk about everything from Shakira's halftime Super Bowl show to the existence of post-Jim Crow racism that we might be experiencing. We get it all covered right here. Is that right, Rabbi? We do. We do. We do. We get it all all covered. A man, a few words this morning, but, you know, we're just starting up. So, uh, so Rabbi, it's, it's been a uh, – um, uh, uh, the last couple shows that we've had here, we've been allowing Black History Month to be a theme that has sparked uh, the, the show and different guests we've had. And a, a lot of the guests when we normally had it has just been, you know, a lot, I think last time we brought in uh, Commissioner Eula and we brought in some other leaders in the community, um, uh, whether they were Caribbean American, African American. Uh, and but the last three shows have really been uh, you, me, some other priests, some other rabbis and really just a bunch of white guys sitting around talking about uh, racism. And uh, it, so we kind of made fun of ourselves for that. But then we also said, but actually, that's what needs to happen. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, I think a lot of our uh, a lot of the, uh, of our black brothers and sisters would tell us, like, yeah, we need more of that. We we need more. Well, I think, I think it's like, like you said, right? Uh, it, it's there's one thing to be able to discuss the issue, and the other is to discuss the issue within a vacuum. And I think we've branched out from the vacuum to be able to understand it. Like as we discussed last week, I had a. You know, good friend of mine, uh, Rabbi uh, Eli Friedman out of um, Philadelphia, come speak about, you know, the, 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 the interesting dynamic that happened in the city of Philadelphia. And certainly his congregation has been there for a long time. And, uh, you know, before then we had, um, you know, the priest and a rabbi out of Baltimore, obviously a very divided city as well. Um, and looking at it from those two different perspectives, you know, two white guys sitting in a studio in, in downtown Stewart, Florida, to uh, two white guys talking in uh, Baltimore, to uh, another white guy talking in Philadelphia, which I think, as we discussed, was, was actually really important. Really important for us to be able to explore the issue, to talk the issue in an open and honest way so that hopefully those that are listening can actually think and say to themselves, you know what, I can make a difference. And if this issue which has been around for a long time, um, uh, propels us in some way, make a change. Start planting the seeds so we can create lasting change, that we can look at each other not through um, 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 a different lens, or but to see people, and I know we've used the terminology before, um, panim al panim, to look at each other face to face and to see each other's soul and to see each other's humanity. That's at the cornerstone of all this. We were, I was talking with our guests last night as we were prepping for the show. And it, from a faith, faith perspective, this all breaks down to getting back to Genesis of saying we're all made in God's image. And so the disease of racism, which I believe we're all infected with, all of us, uh, that it tries to bring, create this tribalism, but not even just tribalism. It, it puts this fictitious... Uh, a narrative inside of our heads that there's a group of people that are just not equal, right? So as people of faith, anytime this happens for, for, for any group where you're, you're, there's a looking down and saying they're just not the same, they're just not as smart, they just don't get it, they're just not as you know evolved in, in how they approach things, right there we're in the middle of sin. We're mm-hmm. staring right at God, and we're, we're, we're actually, um, uh, it, it's a sin to God's creation. 
we're saying, oh, so the, so the, so the gospel's not true. That Genesis is not true. That you did not make uh, every man and woman in, in the image of God. And so this is where the, the sin of racism happens. Whenever we catch ourselves looking at any kind of group of people, culturally, ethnically, um, racially, and saying that those people, when we start with those people and there's a looking down upon, um, then we're saying, okay, hold up. Uh, uh, I'm missing God in in in, in mm-hmm. this in this in this conversation, and and there's I'm, I'm infected. And I think we all have to just take a moment to say, just be honest. We're all I hear people say that I'm not racist. I'm not racist. It's okay. Just say we we all have the infection. It's there. It's part of the original sin. And then then you know how to be aware of it and to be conscious of it. So uh, so today we're gonna have a, we're gonna have a, a hot show. It's a, the number here is seven seven two 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 zero nine seven eight eight. What we want to get into. What we want to get into is that so Rabbi and I live in an area of Stewart, Florida, which, you know, in the South, a lot of times you're in areas where uh, it, it's a post-segregational area. And if it's a post-segregational area, that means the area that you lived in went through and experienced Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. So when you had laws that were set up that were there to limit and not allow a race of people, um, in this case, uh, African-Americans, to be able to have the same opportunities as whites, you're going to have uh, it, the playing field is not even and it's not. To, and you can't just say after 1968 or once we get into 2020, racism is over and civil rights happened and everyone's equal. No, because we had year after year after year of the playing field being completely imbalanced. So now we have to look at. So what does that mean for 2020? We just can't mm-hmm. say everything's good. You're mm-hmm. fine. So the uh, there was a New York Times. I don't know if you saw this op ed uh, yesterday about the, the bootstrap myth. Hmm. That in America we have the bootstrap myth. It's the American dream. If you if you just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, anyone can make it. Black, white, Puerto Rican, any it doesn't matter what color you are. You can work hard. And 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 I think in this show today, we're gonna push back, as many others have said, that's but that's not true. That's not true because the playing field is not even because when we look at today, we're going to be talking about Jim Crow and how But I think I think I think as you said, you know, I think part of it too is also the perception versus reality. Look, I think the perception here in America is that this is a land of opportunity. It's a land of the free. If I, I have the ability in this country to work hard, to provide, and to be able to do what and what and how I please. And I think that that has always been the American dream. But I think that the American reality is, is there a disparaging, uh, unequal balance between... Um, between humanity, and I think that I mean, obviously, we wouldn't be talking this if, if, if there wasn't. Sure. Um, and I think that there's always been that that stark challenge that says, how do we move forward? How do we move with one another along this sacred path to um, to become more harmonious? Right. So there's going to be. I think today we're going to talk about a mental, just the mental part of this, which is just being aware, aware of the inequalities that we still have today, aware of. Uh, of what it is like to be uh, uh, just black in American society, but we're going to just take our community, what that's like. We're going to talk about also the structures that happen, the structures that are built in inherently that still do not allow an equal playing field. There's a spiritual aspect of this, right? So so where is the spiritual pain and hurt, and how does a community of God come in to allow healing, to hear the stories, 
uh, to be a part of this healing. We heard those in the weeks before, and you can catch those episodes on our podcast, A Priest and a Rabbi. Uh, so let's dive in. Our guest today is Lloyd Jones here uh, in Martin County. Lloyd Jones uh, is a historian. Uh, he's, that's part of his passion, is exploring uh, uh, the African American history uh, in everywhere from Hope Sound, but he's involved with, with Martin County. Uh, he serves his community valiantly um, in many different ways, which you're going to hear about. Uh, he's also a retired captain. He served the Sheriff's Department in Martin County and started working um, in the 1970s. So, and, and Lloyd Jones has seen a lot. He, 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 he knows a lot of the history. He experienced a lot of the history. He's seen the good. He's seen the bad. Um, so, Lloyd Jones, welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi. Rabbi, it's good to have you here. Oh, good morning. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm you, glad to be here today. Yeah, so our fellow brother, uh, Tony Anderson, uh, just, just, that's just a happenstance that he and I share the same last name, but maybe we're related. But okay. Tony Anderson <laughs> said, you've got to get Lloyd on here if you want to be talking about the African-American history of Stuart which is very hard to find, by the way, when you're looking through the history books of Stuart, Florida, at the museum. But if you want to know more about it, Lloyd-Jones is your guy. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll see what I can do today. No problem. <laughs> I'm mostly, mainly, uh, I'm focused on the history there in Hope Sound. But, uh, but my life experience, I was, you know, experienced Stuart in the, uh, in the community and he's Stuart for quite a while. So I can, I can help you today. Great. So okay. can you tell the audience and tell us about just your history of here? Uh, I think you're born and raised in this area. Uh, yeah, I was born in, uh, in Martin County in 1954 uh, here in Stewart, and, uh, and I was reared in Hope Sound uh, from, uh, from the age of, uh, from that time on t- until I was uh, 19, 20 years old. Okay, so where'd you go to middle school, high school? Okay, uh, good question. I, I went to uh, school. Uh, well, when I started school back in the day, there were no elementary schools. Uh, no, I'm sorry, no, no, uh, no kindergartens. So um, I started my, my first tenure in school was at a segregated school, which was Dunbar Elementary School in Hope Sound. Hmm. Uh, from Dunbar Elementary School, I, uh, I, pro- I was promoted to the uh, Murray High School, junior senior high school. Let me make sure I'm, I, I say that. Uh, I don't know anybody correcting me right now, but I was transferred to the uh, Murray Junior Senior High School, which was a dominant, uh, segregated African American uh, uh, school. Uh, uh, from there, uh, uh, in the nineteen in the in the fall of nineteen sixty seven, there was uh, f- the full assimilation of uh, of black youth or students into the uh, I would say the white school system at that point in time. Uh, what year was that again? Uh, the assimilation of, uh, we call it integration, but I call it an assimilation. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't think we ever had integration in Martin County school system, and you shut down the black schools. Uh, there were no white kids ever gone to a black school in a black neighborhood, but uh, so the decision was to shut down the black schools in the black neighborhood and trans- and bust black kids out of there to the, to the white schools in the white neighborhoods is, is what happened. Okay. And that was around what year? Uh, that was 1967, 68. Okay. Uh, uh, at that point in time, I, I was uh, transferred to the Stewart Miller School mm-hmm. there on East Ocean Boulevard in Stewart. Uh, I finished up there uh, in the eighth grade, and then at that point in time, Murray, Murray which, which was the old black high school, had been positioned to be the all-county all high school for ninth graders. At that, and, in, and in 1968, the fall, I returned to Murray High School in an integrated setting. Uh, and uh, I finished up my year there at Murray, and uh, from there I was uh, promoted to Martin County High School where I finished up my, uh, my senior year in the, in the class of 1972. So it sounds like middle school and high school were all integrated for you. 
middle school and uh, in high school. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. Mm-hmm. And so, and and then you after that, you then worked on. Then you did you enter? That's that where you said I, I want to become. I want to work for the sheriff. No, no, no. I did. Uh, from, at that point in time, I was still young and you know, a little angry, a little upset. <laughs> and uh, I, 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 uh, I was, I was in junior college at that point in time before I started with the sheriff's office and. Uh, and uh, 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 not having the money uh, to uh, to actually pay for my class and stay on track with my schedule to finish college. Uh, at that point in time, I accepted an invitation uh, to become an employee at the Morning County Sheriff's Office uh, only because it was financial advantage advantageous for me uh, to become a become a deputy sheriff at that time. Okay, great. So that started your tenure. That started my tenure in the Morning County Sheriff's Office in 1976. And so you worked for the sheriff department from 19. 19- yeah, I, I spent one year as as a volunteer deputy, as as what they call a reserve deputy. I did that for a year. I wanted to make sure that's something I wanted to get into. Uh, and uh, after that, uh, I I, uh, I went on full time. Okay, and you do you and that was your you you. How long did you work within the from, sheriff department? From August fifteenth, nineteen seventy seven, uh, I worked on up until two thousand twelve. So I did full time. I did thirty six years in the agency. Wow. <laughs> so bringing you on the show for the reason we're talking about, which is the. Uh, the African-American history, or really the black history of, of Martin County, mm-hmm. um, you have had a front row as someone who worked in the sheriff department of seeing and witnessing just what post-Jim Crow Martin County was like mm-hmm. and the tensions that happened and maybe there was victories along the way mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully there was a lot of, there was mm-hmm. joy filled with it, but you, you witnessed also... Um, uh, some some of the tensions firsthand, I would assume. Oh, yeah. Some of the chaos yeah, yeah. that came oh, with yeah. that. Oh yeah, sure, certainly, certainly. Uh, people resisting arrest. <laughs> people calling you names that you that your parents they had no idea what those names were, and uh, I went through all of that, man. Well, uh, well, well, and I, let me say this much: I, I I can't say that was both on just one sided. I mean, that there were black folks who had to adjust to the mind the mindset of black folks having a, a black deputy sheriff. Telling them they were under arrest or giving them directions, they had a problem with that too, as well as whites. Hmm. So would they push back and, sure, sure, and sure, say that sure. they they were only accustomed to having a white deputy sheriff in the neighborhood and in the area? So hmm. as as a black deputy sheriff, everybody resisted you. Hmm. I spent more time struggling and fighting than I did being a peace officer. To be honest with you, right? And what what, what was it like for you, especially in the in the in the, in the late seventies, in terms of acceptance within the sheriff's department itself? Uh, I, w- I would say I, there was a struggle for me in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wasn't uh, uh, well received on the squad that I, that, I, that I was first assigned to. I mm-hmm. was actually transferred from, from that squad because I, I felt like there was too much prejudice there and, and there was a lack of empathy for me. Uh, I had been placed in a in the Hope Sound, the neighborhood I grew up in, and, and, and the tensions were real, real tight around there, and I was having problems trying to live there and patrol, so I, I asked my supervisor to, ask him to transfer me out of my, my neighborhood and, 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 and allow me to become more confident mm-hmm. and, and grow a little bit more and transfer, transfer me to a different, a different zone to work. He refused to do so, and he told me that the sheriff, sheriff Hope had hired me just to work Hope Sound, and, Hell, that's where I was gonna spend my career in Hope Sound, working in an all-black neighborhood. That's what I was told. Wow. So, uh, so, can you explain to us? So, a lot of us are transplants here, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if the rabbi is a transplant. I'm a transplant. 
Uh, I know a lot of people in my church are transplants or snowbirds. Mm-hmm. So for us to be able to begin this journey of trying to understand the history of our community, mm-hmm. it's always important to do that. And I think as clergymen, mm-hmm. as in the church and in the temple, uh, we are we want to be uh, married to our community, understand our community, know the community, and so we mm-hmm. need to know the history of the community. I think in seminary they would say exegete your your community. So can you explain what life was like? Let's say you know as as a uh, a teenage black man or even before that um here i mean i know you know hope sound better but just for your remembrance of just of stewart where i've heard of that this was a sundown community that uh or maybe palm city part that after 6 p.m uh first for a certain time there that if you were if you were black you would not be able to go into palm city after 6 p.m i, I mean when we're talking about racism and and we're talking about codings uh the, the community and so forth i don't think it was in a different hope sound than it was in and uh and uh, and East Stewart or City Stewart, I mean, it was something that was universal in, in the community, very broad. Um, but I, I would to say, I, as, as me myself personally, I, I didn't see the signage, so to speak, the physical signs. But yet, and still, uh, in conversation with the older people uh, and with the kids who were older than me, the race code was there. They would tell you where you could be mm-hmm. at a certain time. They would tell you where you couldn't be at a certain time. And uh, and of course, when I knew the Hope Sound fans as being a teenager, uh, I couldn't go to what they call the White Beach. That's the same beach as the end of uh, Bridge Road there in Hope Sound at the Atlantic Ocean. I wasn't allowed to go there. I had to turn north and travel another mile or two miles north to go to what they call the Colored Beach. Okay, wow. uh, that's that is now the uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the reserve there on the north end of Jupiter Island right now. So there was a big that would had a sign that said Colored Beach. And of course, and uh, and two, uh, uh, there was the what they call the white schools and the black schools. I knew that uh, actually it's kind of funny, man, because when I was a kid growing up, where I lived in Hope Sound, I lived in Gold Mills. Gold Mills was uh, my neighborhood was actually closer to the white school than I was to the black school I was transferred to. So when people start talking about busting, I, I've been busted all my life, man, and from close by my home. So uh, uh, and then again to uh, to answer your questions uh, more so, uh, yeah, I, I, even even with policing, uh, my I remember my, uh, my 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 baseball coach. Uh, he was actually first black uh, deputy sheriff from Martin County. His, uh, uh, his name was Booker T. McLean. Uh, he was uh, uh, he was uh, he was hired back in 1963 and 1964. Uh, and his nickname was Shot. Uh, <laughs> uh, shot? Yeah, we call him Shot. Uh, he, <laughs> he he had a good shot. Is that is that why? I, I don't know. He was a good baseball player. I know that. Okay. <laughs> but uh, but uh, but even he didn't have arrest powers, and 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 but definitely he couldn't stop white people or 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 or, in, or anybody. And uh, and I was I was told that his tenure was relatively short because he had stopped some white woman one night and he was fired for that. Is my understanding. Well, okay. I mean, as a sheriff? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he wasn't allowed to arrest, arrest or arrest anybody. And uh, and uh, I was told that one night he was he was had gotten a patrol car and he stopped this white woman and. Bam, he was gone, man. That was in his wow. career. So was that the seventies or the late sixties? That was in the sixties. Yeah, early sixties. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, experiences of uh and the police department had the had the had the ability to limit one's ability to arrest 
okay, we say we're living in a Jim Crow society, Jim mm-hmm. Crow laws, Jim Crow customs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they, they did that. Yeah, you can wow. arrest anybody. That was policy. Mm-hmm. It was political, too. I mean, you're playing politics, and, and you're playing the law and custom in history. So, yeah, that wasn't wow. allowed. Mm-hmm. All right, so the, the, the with, with, during the time of Jim Crow, we see – we see the segregated schools. We see um, things like segregated segregated beaches. segregated restaurants. And and again, I remember as a kid growing up, my mother and father had us all dressed up one day and took us up to a, uh, I call it, it was called the snack shop or the Dairy Queen or something here in Stewart. And uh, I was kind of wondering why my why my stepdad was going to the back of the restaurant to get us to get us food to eat to this little small window. But everybody else was going inside, making orders and so forth, and then he would come out with the food and food and stuff, and we had to sit in the car to eat in the in the hot daggum summer, man, you know. And I kept wondering, well, why can't we go inside and sit like everybody else? But we couldn't. We weren't allowed to go inside. And my my mother, my sister, was telling me that she recalled at one point in time she heard this lady tell my mother, "Listen, I can't let you inside the restaurant, but you can sit outside and eat the shade tree and then eat dinner with your children." So that that's what I experienced here in Martin County. So the, I mean, you got a family out for Sunday evening, dinner, right? And hell, they can't go and sit in a restaurant, right? I'm sorry. No, that's yeah. So this is good. It's good for us to learn and hear the stories. Mm-hmm. So a part of this, I mean, again, as clergy, we we want the the worship space and we want mm-hmm. uh, the religion to be a part of this up to hear stories. It's always about hearing the stories of God, but also hearing the stories of one another. So this is important for us. So can you tell us what? So what was what were houses of worship like back then? Could 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 you? I think houses of worship back then is the same we are right now. <laughs> Still the most segregated day of the week, right? It's a day of worship. Okay, as they say, ain't nothing changed. <laughs> <laughs> so so, but but if you right now, so right now, I'm in the Episcopal Church at St. Mary's. Mm-hmm. Two minutes from us is St. Monica. St. Mm-hmm. Monica's Episcopal mm-hmm. Church, mm-hmm. which is more of a Caribbean parish. It's just really just uh, literally on the other side of the tracks. Uh, Back then, you had two Episcopal churches, two minutes away from each other. Could someone from, this is during the 1960s, let's say, could a St. Monican walk across the street, come over to St. Mary's? And, you know, I want to go see what it's like over at St. Mary's and come in and worship over there uh, like in 1964. Could that happen? You know, we were having a conversation earlier when I came in, and I was asking Father, that was it okay for me to come to his church? I said, I didn't want to get picked up, get arrested, you know. I'm sorry, man. I said, I don't want to call the police on me, man, you know. Right. So, uh, so no, uh, I, I think that was, it would have been uncomfortable for, for me to go into uh, a, uh, a, a, a a white church during that time. I mean, as a teenage boy, would you have done that? Uh, no. No, I wouldn't have. Could you have done it? No. So we so even legally But you know what's weird about it? White folks have always been allowed to infiltrate into the black community. Hmm. You know, to go at will and back and forth. Nobody's ever said, Hey, you can't come in here. I, I never saw that, hmm. to be honest with you. I never saw it. Right. Right. I'm just talking to you. No, no, that's this is this is good. I mean mm-hmm. so but if because uh, I'm just trying to see the history of our cause at St. Mary's we're gonna start doing history on our church and looking mm-hmm. through archives. Mm-hmm. And just where were we all during this time of, of Jim Crow, which clearly goes against the gospel, mm-hmm. um, but that many times culture still <laughs> leads how the church responds to things. Sometimes the church mm-hmm. is 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 and I can't speak for the temple, but for the church sometimes is it can be a little complicit or just get caught in a silo or just say, Hey, I'm going to do me. I'm going to do me. We're mm-hmm. going to do us. Mm-hmm. There's some chaos going on over there, but eh, let's just take care of us. Just right. Stay where we are. If you are right. As opposed to saying, well, no, there's, there's injustice happening. I mean, mm-hmm. this right now, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's just mm-hmm. tons of stuff going on in that we can probably get our hands dirty mm-hmm. better with. But mm-hmm. so when does that, 
when is the history does it begin to shift? Do you well, think? Well, let me say this much, man. Um, I mean, even and we when we talk about these shifts in in the secular world and the shifts in the in the, in the faith world, uh, you know, I can say a lot here right now, uh, but. But, but let me make this case in point. I, I really think in the secular world in Morning County, up until the 70s, I remember this, there were still altercations and fisticuffs at the various businesses here in town where black folks tried to go in and get services. I mean, there at the Royal Castle in the corner there, there was a Royal Castle there, and black folks were going in and trying to get a sandwich or something, and they ref- would refuse them services. That was in the 1970s. Like mid seventies, uh, I would say early seventies, uh, seventy, seventy one, and so forth. Yeah, there were there were there were fisticuffs going on. The people were trying to get services, and there were fights then. So I, I I'm gonna say you know it's uh, integration, Morning County. I think it's 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 recent for me hmm. in my life, and uh, even working with the sheriff's office and, and having to arrest people. I had to arrest a, a, a white lady myself one time for drunk driving. And one of the deputies got really ticked up because I arrested a white woman. So uh, that was in 1977. So I, I would say 1977. Yeah, yeah. I would say you know I think Martin County Johnny Johnny come lately on on that on that on that concern. On yeah, that, I've on heard that, that from white leaders and black leaders both at mm-hmm. Martin County and even from folks of the church being like, yeah, the Martin County was way behind on this. And the yeah, reason why we yeah, hit this it now is. it's important because in 2020, I mean this this wasn't that long ago, mm-hmm. right? We try to think ah that was the past, but not really. Mm-hmm. That wasn't that long ago that's 40 to 50 years ago that we were still dealing that a black sheriff would struggle to be able to arrest a white woman we think about the oh that was back then those were different people we've all changed so much as society but those wounds and those memories you're sitting right next to me mm-hmm. you have memories of mm-hmm. that happening which means not you alone that uh that there's still there's still those wounds and for so many people a, a pain that's mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. and and all that so that affects psychology that affects how we relate to one another. That affects for open and honest conversations because it wasn't. We can't just throw the stuff behind us and say, "Ah, well, you know, that was then. This is now, and it's different." Is it? Is it? We have to look and be and share our stories to understand. And mm-hmm. I think also there is a point where, as you and I don't want to speak for your faith. Are, are, you, are you are you a man of faith? Well, since you're here right now, uh, okay. So as a I fellow, got, I got a rabbi and priest on both sides. Okay. Here. So as a fellow child of God, as a fellow child of God, you know, with with, with you, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for for me to hear this and know that there are still people in the community, uh, in our community, Listen. that happen to be black that still feel that there is a uh, a, a less than, not equal. And because it was only 50 years ago that there was laws put in place that also said you're not equal mm-hmm. and different, mm-hmm. um, that there's work we need to do to hear about it and also know that what are the structures that have continued on to 2020 mm-hmm. that are still permeating this beyond the psychological impact mm-hmm. that, that for, for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's I think this show today is also to understand the lens. When I, um, I've had people in my church tell me, ah, you know, racism's over. You know, we, we moved on. Okay. <laughs> right. There's no more racism. But uh, I think part of it is having to make more relationships with our brothers and sisters, definitely brothers and sisters uh, of color in the community and say, what's it like? What's a day in a life like for you? I know a, f- a friend of ours over at T3T, uh, T3, uh, TC3, uh, the pastor over there had a service where they did that. He brought on uh, a black pastor and that was church that day mm-hmm. and said, uh, uh, Bishop Polk, tell me what's like a day in life for you. Like here, it's mm-hmm. like, well, you know, two, three times a week I get pulled over, 
right? And it was important for his congregation to know that story, to be like, we think it's all we're all we're all we're all good here. But to walk in the shoes of a black man or black woman in Martin County, or a lot of parts of the country, north or south, mm. uh, there's still some challenges that remind you that there's still we have this issue of, of, of a race of people seeing less than or unequal and, and, and that, that there's a sin that's permeating us still that we still need to heal. But, but, but I think also, you know, um, Father Anderson, as you had suggested also with, you know, some of your uh, folk who say oh, racism's not here anymore. And I wonder how much of it is also based on if I don't hear about it or I don't right. see it, then it doesn't exist as opposed to it's there. You're just not willing or able to open your eyes to see it. Yes. And I think, yeah, to, to your point, that's a great point. I don't think she was being. Uh, yes, I, I think that she's not hearing the stories because you don't see it. Yes, you don't see it. And that's where I think is, is at least at St. Mary's is trying to build the relationships with other churches, mainly black churches, to be in community, to be in relationship, to collaborate on projects together, and then to learn more from one another, to grow together and hear more stories because the, yes, the awareness, the empathy. Mm -hmm. So we are going to take a, a quick break. The phone number here is 772-220-9788 as we talk about the history uh, of Jim Crow here uh, in our community, but also now in the second part of the show, where do we go to now? What is the future? Where is the hope? As, as a priest and a rabbi, we're always looking for the hope. So we are so excited to have Lloyd-Jones with us, and we will be right back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A uh, Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And, and I want to uh, let you know that I have uh, started a uh, YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor or someone to be there for you 
during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or, and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Welcome back to A Priest and a Rabbi here at WSU 1450. I'm here with Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam, and I'm Father Christian Anderson over at St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in sunny Stewart, Florida. And uh, our guest today is Lloyd Jones, a retired officer from the work for the sheriff in uh, Martin County. Uh, he is a, a historian. He's working on the black history of Hope Sound, but also very aware of the history uh, throughout Martin County and Stewart. We are talking about uh, the history of, of Jim Crow um, in a community. What do you do when you're a community, if you live in an area where there was heavy Jim Crow uh, laws that happened, and after post-Jim Crow, uh, what does what ramifications and how has that affected your community? And what kind of healing and listening can you do and lead, whether as a person of faith or just a leader in your community, to help be aware and help with the healing? So... You know, Lloyd Jones, let, let, let's start with this question. We were talking at the break about this. Here we are, 2020, February 2020. Uh, are we better off today? And this is, this is okay, I'm being just a, uh, uh, I say this and I preface this as a white man who has a lens, right? I have a lens, uh, for better or for worse, of what I see and what I experience in this community. And to, put, to Rabbi's point before, it's a limited lens. So sometimes I, I just don't see, and I, my awareness can be so much better, and I need to work on it, that I don't see the pains and the brokenness of our community because uh, it, the way our community is set up right now, I'm at the top of the ladder as a white, straight male, right? So I'm asking you, as a black Whoa. man in this community, <laughs> are we better in 2020 than we were, let's say, uh, right at right eve of post Jim Crow. Well, I could take issue with you on that. Okay, uh, please, please, you, uh, because you're within the circles where you hear the the the, the, the uh, human dissension. I'm not. I don't have a ear a, a position to hear what's been said about me or for me or against me in your arena. But you have that avenue to be able to do that. I don't, and I say that based upon my experience with, with my uh, with my niece, who's uh who's uh she she's uh my my brother's black and my mother's is, is white so to, so so to speak and my, my my niece tells me all the time uncle lord uh i got i got the best of both worlds i don't mm. know how white folks think about black folks i don't know how black folks think about white folks so so we all are, are exposed to uh hit, hit, hitting those various conversations you as well as myself so i, I think we'll maybe a little unequal that in some ways you i think you have a higher higher chance of hearing that conversation more than i do well, sure to be sure no i hear you about what's going on with the majority of the people uh mindset in this community i don't i'm limited i'm still limited but uh based upon that are we better off than where we've been years ago um, I, I think we all can share and agree in the consensus here that we're not you know, just not what I have to say. Well, I think we all know that that we're not. Do we? Do we, we are before. do we? Do we find that at least in 2020 we're more open to having the conversation? 
than we were back then? Is it? Do you think it's a more a more open society? No, no, no. I don't think anybody want to want to have that conversation. I mm-hmm. think it's pretty close. It's pretty tight. Okay. Nobody wants to talk about. It. Nobody wants to cross the line and talk about mm-hmm. it. You know. Do Do we need to have more of the conversation about race? Let's just say right here in our community in this county. Would it be beneficial that 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 we were having open conversations, public forums, invitations, whether it's at churches, at temples, or just in a public square? To, to have and talk and you get black and white leaders up and uh, even Latino leaders and say, Let, let's talk about this because it's clearly still here. Would that, would that, do you think that would be beneficial? You know, I kind of thought about that on the way down to what, how, how, how I will actually respond to that question. And uh, to talk about race, I mean, I, I'm for one that don't believe there's a such thing as division in 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 the human race. I, I think there are two races. I think there are, there are, there are people as a race, and I think there's a lower form that we call animals. You know that 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 we, that we deal with your cats and your dogs, and 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 I don't I don't I don't want to. Uh, I just don't. I mean, when I see you, I don't see a white man, dog. I, I don't see a white man. I don't see. I'm not in a room full of white white men. I'm in a room with people, mm-hmm. and I, I feel that God's spirit is here. I, I just don't believe in that myself personally. But to answer your question, how do how do in, in that context how how do we we approach the, this situation? And uh, I've been spending some time in and in, in working with our. our uh, my history here in Martin County and the Hope Sound, and but but more so standing by looking at the global history of 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 of, of the state of Florida, uh, its contributions to to America as being I guess one of one of the oldest states in the country, uh, have been definitely having the oldest city that we all recognize, and, and then trying to trying to look at how how we look at history. And uh, we, we depend upon the secular world to tell the history about humanity. But I, I think it's imperative that, 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 that the faith world begin to come together to, to tell the history of people uh, across our state and, and, and within our communities. I, I, I think if we based our foundation upon truths, then I think, I think the church need to live up to its creed and tell the truth about our history. Hmm. And we start having those conversations about histories. Hmm. And then not only that, but we bring in the people who have the expertise to have those conversations. We're bringing the people at the level of a Dr. Gates or some other people who, who can actually have to have the academic qualities and ability to have that conversation in Martin County and, and quit dealing with it on such a, I would say, a, a menial level, mm-hmm. you know? And so, do you, this is great. Menial level being just having just sort of simple conversations simple that you don't have yeah, the yeah, people yeah, who are really yeah. are the experts to kind there of help go. guide have, have, and reveal. Have a, a cutting-edge conversation on this thing. Yeah. You know, but it's interesting because I, 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 I'm challenged by the word let's talk about it. Sure. Because I think that in sometimes, for lack of a better term, talk is cheap. We can talk about it. We can, we can explore these issues. But where does it go from there? And I think when we look at it from even in you know, the 1960s and we look at the civil rights movement, where did a lot of the movement happen? Um, and, and to go back, you know, Lloyd, on what you were saying, look, the majority, if not uh, uh, overwhelming part of it, um, the push happened in the churches. Now, yes, we know that the push also happened in the courts, but beyond the courts, it happened within community. People stood up and said, enough. We need to come together as opposed to being divided. But isn't there a hypocrisy here? We say the church pushed it, but the church never integrated itself. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Sure. 
Yeah, I'm, it, I'm just talking. Guys. No, no, this is good. And so my, so my question, Lloyd, is is now I want to bring it back to what you said that we we are not better off today than we were before. So on paper, from a legal standpoint, sure, Jim Crow is not of the law anymore for you to do that on paper is not good now now so so we do not have separate beaches we do not have separate drinking fountains we do not have law we you know if a if a black officer is a superior tells him you what you do you can't arrest that white woman I, i'm hoping there's a system in place that there would be higher ups that come into this and do an investigation into that where back then you couldn't so i mean so there's a there's a somewhat there's a the structure has has changed and mm-hmm. would you agree mm-hmm. with that yeah that's, okay that's meant some 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 evil evolving yeah the thing's not like it was when i first started no. okay so mm-hmm. but when you say that we're not as better off as we were before can you can you parse that out more and tell me more sure man uh, <laughs> <laughs> first of all i look at it this way uh, let's look at the politics here uh and the way i look at it you you got two political parties here you got a political systems what is their political agenda when it comes down to uh, 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 to the black and the Hispanic community, the brown community? What what are their policy? What are their platforms? Does any of the political platforms around here I see have been adapted to to be inclusive of, of the needs and the agendas within the black communities? I'm, I'm going to say no. Hmm. You know, uh, when we talk about education in in, in the community and so forth. I don't. I don't know if there's actually a political agenda from either party that really attaches itself to the needs of, of the community. I, I, everything politics is local, and everything politics actually uh, uh, is the catalyst for laws. Politics was the catalyst for Jim Jim Crow. Right. Politics was the catalyst for 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 desegregation. So so my my question is if 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 the if the political system has not really been engaging enough to be inclusive to bring brown and black folks into the into those into those organizations and giving them key leadership positions and and and, and get them the empowerment that they need uh, we're not going to have economic uh progress because politics also brings along economic progress and and i see black folks in the same position they were in years ago, probably even worse off in Morning County, because now they're losing their profits in their neighborhoods. And, and I think people are standing there like East Stewart waiting to see the older people die off so they can go in and acquire their property. So now we're talking gentrification. So uh, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't see where things are so much so much better for economically for, for, for black folks in the, in, in the county. And we got a school system where I don't, I don't think black kids are even progressing in the school system. Hmm. I mean, for me, when I left uh, my, my desegregated school there at, at Murray High School, I had black teachers who knew me, knew my families and so forth, and they identified with me. When I went over to the, the, the white school, all of a sudden, man, I lost that identity, and my, gr- my grades plummeted. So again, are you bringing in the, the right teachers? I don't care about the skin color of somebody, but are you bringing in teachers who are gonna actually spend their time to engage these kids hmm. where they are and in, in their communities and their families? That's what you need. That's what we have to do. But do you think to go to back to your point on leadership, that I have noticed this compared to other places I've lived in and I've talked to other civic leaders, our county seems to there's a lot of work. A lot of opportunity to bring more people of color into leadership positions. A lot of the uh, of the calls that are being made that are guiding the policies of our county are usually made. Those people are usually white, and so that's going to affect. That's a, just that's just one lens how to see and how to. So if you're serving this community that's both black, white, and brown, um, Asian, then but you only have whites making the decision. We're going to miss. We're just going to miss they, awareness. If, right? if they're in control of the politics. 
If they're in control of the politics, if they're in control of the churches, you don't progress, man. You don't go nowhere. So, so, for, so at a school, and I've talked to Pastor Zenobia about this, she's, she's a great leader in our community here, and she has a huge history at Martin County High, that she was talking about how, yes, the graduation rate right now is suffering for, for um, African Americans at Martin County High. And so she started this mentorship program. She's been doing great work. However, do, 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 to your point, do we need, you said it wasn't about, I guess it's the quality of the, you need a teacher who gets it, but wouldn't you just need also more black teachers? Or uh, um, hey, that would. You'd need black teachers who get it too. Yeah. Yeah, that's no guarantee. Oh, well. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. So, so that that Probably is got shut down, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Already, already, it's already happening. Um, because in the church, like all throughout, it's I was in seminary, and I remember talking. We we wanted the the, the Episcopal Church is be, is is a, there's a growing movement of of, of Spanish speaking folks in the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. and here in in Southeast Florida, this diocese we have three languages. We have Haitian French, and then we have uh, lots of different uh, Spanish folk from all from from all over Latin America. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, just your general white folks. So the, all three, um, the, those are the three main movements. And so the diocese is trying to be very intentional about the people who are making the decisions and choices of how this diocese and this church is formed here. You have to have a Haitian, you have to have Spanish speaking, and you have to have white, because if you just have a white guy making the decisions, it's just going to be more through a white lens, which is not going to really represent the kingdom of God. So we, we you know, you have to be, we have to be very intentional about that. And I'm wondering if Martin County, we can be much more intentional about raising up the leaders who really reflect all the people who are being served. So it's not just one type, one, one, one race at the top. It's, it's difficult for you to get the full lens to fully understand what the needs are of everyone. Well, well, let me say this much in that, and, and let me test everybody here in Martin County, uh, 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 blacks and whites, Hispanics, or whatever. You know, I, what, what I think about religion sometimes in churches is be, becoming more, more in online, so to speak, with with uh, being 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 fair and equal. I, I think the best model for that. And I'm I'm, I'm going to really raise some people's eyebrows right now. I think we need to take a look, look at the uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, to be honest with you. Now, everybody's going to jump off the skin on that. But in Jehovah's Witnesses, man, th- those guys, they, they don't have black churches and, and the white churches. They're they, pretty they, diverse. They, they, they all one, mm-hmm. you know. And you know it, something's it, right that's going on it, it, at a house of worship, but it's that, a diverse that, community. There's, some, there's something going on right right there. Now, yeah. people don't like them. They go knock on your door. People get <laughs> mad about it. But but they got a game going, man. <laughs> <laughs> they got a and, game and, going. And, and they where the hell are everybody else? I'll tell you that now. No, I mean, I've, I've always loved going to Bishop Polk's church because I got to say, man, he's got something going on where he's got black and white families mm-hmm. all worshiping together. And to what we said before, sometimes uh, I can't speak for the temple, but for the church, it's mm-hmm. the most segregated day of the year is on Sunday, right? And I know that's a lot of that's cultural and a lot of what we're comfortable with. But a lot of our, I mean, I'll take my church, for instance, man. It's where we're pretty whitewashed. Well, well if, if we believe that's cultural, then we're not allowing the culture of God to have his place. It's domination we let humanity man have his domination instead of god himself and we truly believe in in, in in god himself and when he believed that he's all our creator then that's what dominates and that's what we should push to have domination let his will dominate and not ours or your means so we gotta we gotta move ourselves a little bit above that you know? sure it's a challenge you know because it, as as a so you take the rabbi. Rabbi's got a community. Rabbi knows his community. You, you form your programs. You form your sermons, everything based on the needs of the community. So I have my community, and I'm thinking about what are their needs. And, uh, you know, Pastor Gore or Pastor Polk has got a community. He knows their needs. And Pastor Polk was in here. Bishop mm-hmm. Polk was in here. Well, he talked about, listen, you guys are talking about getting all controversial about a wall, building a wall. 
He's like, I got people just trying to put a wall up in their house. Uh-huh. <laughs> you guys talking about gun control? He's like, we've been talking about gun control forever. We got mm-hmm. people, you know, I'm dealing with the gunshots, whatever. So it's like these two different uh, uh, contexts where, um, but again, maybe are we not inviting and saying, God, how do we create a worship space where all feel, all people feel welcome? But I think, I think above and beyond that, I think it's also how do we create a culture that says, even though that may not affect me, it does affect me. You know, yeah, we, yeah, go, yeah, go, go, yeah, go back to, to, to the Reverend King, right? In, in, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I agree. Right? I agree. And, and I think that mm-hmm. there's something there. Yep. Look, as a Reformed Jew, we have always been committed to uh, e- equality, to seeing each other as, as, as human beings, not through a different color or different lens. We have always been committed. Uh, you know, when you take the images of Reverend King, I mean, you know, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel linked arm to arm. I mean, we were there. And I think, you know, even when Heschel was told by the New York Jewish community, this is not your fight, Heschel said, what's not my fight? That, that, that effectively the African-American community is being targeted and the African community is, 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 um, is struggling. That is a Jewish concern. And I think that I think in our society and our world today, even if we take it locally, that it may not affect me, but it absolutely affects me. And I need to be able to recognize that and to start working towards it. Do you think, we've brought this up before on the show, and Lloyd, it's, so as, as, as clergy, we talk about this, that we see our, our respective religions in other countries flourish in, in, in a different way. And I, to me, it's always come back since I've been, a, been part of the ministry, is that when I go to Ecuador and I see the church there, or I go to Africa and I see how the church is flourishing there, these are groupistic societies where it's all about the community and lifting one another up. So if my neighbor is in pain, then there's a way, I have a responsibility, then I'm in pain. Mm-hmm. Where in America, we have more of the rugged individualism, mm-hmm. where it's like, take care of you, take care of your family, but not necessarily with that hyper-awareness of, of the whole community. And I, and I wonder if that, that steps in here, because we can see the injustices or we learn about the injustices of maybe a different race, a different group, a different whomever, but that's not really me. And we do get caught up in these silos and I'm not even aware maybe of even of, of, of the pain that's happening. So I do, do you think the individualism of America sometimes affects our, our, our uh, lack of consciousness or inability sometimes to say, well, this brokenness or this injustice is happening over here, but it's not really affecting me. So why get involved until it affects me? Then, then I'm involved, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm I'm gonna agree with you there. Uh, that that may be the situation. Uh, I can, I'm not gonna elaborate on that uh, uh, too far. But uh, I'm in a uh, little uh, uh, short on time. But I, I'm gonna agree with you. I, I think our individualism uh, and, and even as communities, separate communities, uh, not crossing over. But then again, too, it goes back to what we teach on Sunday mornings. We, we, we should be teaching about a, a global connection with one another. Christians are supposed to be loving people and helping one another, whether individuals or their groups. There's a, there's a responsibility we have to cross lines and connect. Jesus Christ did it all the time. Elijah did it. Uh, Elijah did it. We, they, they crossed those lines constantly. And we have to create a ministry or ministry mm-hmm. that, that crosses lines. And no sometimes, and that sometimes. And it's, it's okay to have a black pastor come to your church and preach, man. Well, I mean, you call him black, but it's okay to do that. We, that's what we have to start doing. 
sharing knowledge and information. And not just that, but I think also, too, is not being afraid to have the difficult conversations. Mm -hmm. Because then, to Rabbi's point, you have to talk about the injustices and you have to talk about the disruption that's happening in our society. So it is tough, I think, sometimes to get in front of your parish and talk about families being separated and at the border, right? And so you got children being thrown into cages. Now, that is a very controversial topic, and you might divide your parish. You have to have the conversation, though, as a person of faith, because there's a lot of scripture that would say separating families, period, or treating the foreigner that way, whether it's Deuteronomy, Leviticus, or Jesus Christ, mm. is, is not in line. Those are difficult and challenging conversations, and I think any church, or I don't know about the temple, is is worried, especially now, since we the politically we're so divided, that mm. if I go there— uh, it's just going to separate and people will leave, you know? So th- it's this it's this balancing act, I think, as clergy, especially in houses of faith, that, yes, preaching love is easy, right? Mm-hmm. Now saying, but where are the places where there's a lack of love, mm-hmm. where there's inequality, where is injustice? And and I gotta, we, we, we got to do something about this. But I, I think sometimes we, we need to let that uncomfortableness sit with us and resonate with us so that we can actually have some emotive feeling that propels us to try and do something to alleviate that, 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 that challenge. It t- and it takes a lot of tact and strategy and, and thought process. Go ahead, sorry. Hey, guys, I'm going to say one thing. Let's not end this conversation today because Black History Month ends next week. Let's <laughs> keep the conversation going on through the year, all right? That is, no, that's 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 that's, that's very true. So, Lloyd, um, we're, we're coming to the end of the show here. What What is this, some parting wisdom? I, we thank you for coming on here. Wh- where is the hope? You know, if, if, if there's something you can say the hope. I think we've talked about awareness, of increasing awareness, of having these conversations. I think there's people, it sounds like, who are just not even aware that there's still issues and pain and hurt um, and structures in our society in a post-Jim Crow world where it's still affecting our brothers and sisters in marginalized communities and not giving them an equal fair share. W- where's the hope? Just to keep on having the conversation? Uh, absolutely. I, I think so. And and again, yeah, I think so. Uh, just just keep praying and, 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 and learning more about our history, uh, sharing their history with our children uh, and, and with our families and that's, and, and, and and become more politically involved in the community. That's, that's all there you I go, say politically right involved. Yeah. We didn't talk about a lot of things. We didn't talk about uh, the ability to get loans and what's it like for her to no, be able to have to create there. generational <laughs> wealth in this. What's the difference for a black person, a white person in Morton County? So we can continue this we in, still in got the another future. Week. We got another week. We still have another week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, you got another 11 months. You got another 11 months. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Uh, Lloyd-Jones, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing. Um, And so, uh, well, there'll be plenty of things coming up. I know with the church, we're going to be doing a prayer walk on Palm Sunday, which we will be walking together. And also, the rabbi has something. We have, uh, just just to follow up on the conversation, March 1st, next Sunday, 1 o'clock, the Roosevelt Bridge. Uh, I hope you will join us as we band together to uh, the elimination of discrimination against anti-Semitism, against racism, against bigotry, hatred. Stop the hate. Join us 1 o'clock, Roosevelt Bridge, Sunday, March 1st. Meet your neighbors. Come out and, and be part of the community, the full community, the complete community of God. We are looking forward to that. So uh, God bless you. Uh, be open to the conversation. Ask where God is calling you in this. We will see you next Friday. Check out the podcast, A Priest and a Rabbi. Subscribe, like, share, and leave a comment. It helps the algorithm. Peace.